Well, hello, Wilshire, and welcome. I'm uh, glad once again to be able to be with you, even if it's virtual. And I'm really glad that you're here. It, I think it's a wonderful thing that all over the place, people are finding ways to make this connection so that we can at least uh, be together in this manner and offer our worship to God and study together. Uh, I think it's important, especially now, for us to keep our fellowship going and to find ways to connect with each other. So uh, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And um, thank you all. We've had a lot of supportive messages about trying to get this material up on the web, and you're very kind. I want to encourage everybody, particularly thank Jeremy Beller. He is doing all of the work in terms of organizing this and piecing everything together for us and getting it on the web. And he told me he was up till 4 a.m. He's going to kill me for letting you know this, but he was up till 4 a.m. last Sunday because uh, YouTube is cranky right now, as you can imagine, it's overwhelmed. And so it just took ages and ages and ages to upload what you guys saw last Sunday. So uh, give him an extra pat on the back. Well, actually don't do that. That would be against social distancing. Uh, give him an extra thank you, please. That'd be good. Um, anyway, we are continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're getting down to uh, what is really the climactic scenes of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus the King has come to his city, and his the leaders of his city don't want him to be king, and they are rejecting him. They've already planned to have him killed, and he knows this is coming. And that leads us to what we're going to study today, which is Matthew 26, the story of what takes place in Gethsemane. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be looking at that today. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus goes to Gethsemane, and we see him doing this. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and agitated. And then he said to them, I'm deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. It's a little strange for us to think about Jesus um, being grieved and being worried. And sometimes I think we elevate Jesus and we take away his humanity. Jesus is God. The Bible's really clear on that. This is the second person of what we call the Trinity, the three parts of the one true God. And so he is as God as God. He's very nature God. And yet that doesn't change the fact that he is as human as you and me, tempted in every way, just like you and I are. What would you be feeling in this situation if you know something as horrifying as Roman crucifixion is barreling towards you? Well, uh, that's what Jesus is feeling, of course, and he's grieved about it. I don't think we want to, uh, you know, put Jesus out of the realm of humanity in this moment. Of course, he was worried about that. I think it is natural to imagine. Jesus knew the cross was coming, and he was tempted to escape it. So, you know, that's what he's worried about. And he gathers his three guys with him, Peter 
and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he gets them and he goes off and he's going to pray. Because that's what you do when you're facing a temptation. You need to get your people near you, the people you're close to, and you need to pray. And whatever he did seemed to work. Because look down in verses 45 and 46. And he came to his disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It's interesting the shift between verses 36 to 38 and verses 45 and 46. Yeah, we know he's uh, not happy about what's about to happen, but by the time we get to verse 45 and 46, he's determined. The decision has been made. He is ready to face what he has to face. How did that happen? How did Jesus get to that place? where he is ready to face the thing that really scares him. Well, that's what the middle section's about. Let's look at that for a second. So he gets his guys together. He goes off to pray. And here's how the prayers go. After going, verse 39, after going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and he prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not what I want but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away for the second time and he prayed, my father, this cannot pass unless I drink it. Then your will be done. Again, again and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words. How did Jesus overcome his, what I think is his greatest temptation, this temptation to escape from the cross? He later will say, I can call all the angels I need. Nobody can put me on this cross. I have to allow myself to be put on this cross. And he does allow himself. How does he get there? Well, the same way you and I will overcome temptation. He prays. He gathers his people around him. They're not the best people. They aren't perfect. They keep falling asleep on him. But even imperfect companions are better than being alone. And so gather some people around you. And then you pray. And notice what he says. Jesus doesn't pray just any prayer. He wants to escape the cross, but he prayed to dedicate him. He dedicated himself to doing God's will. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. I think in the entire history of words that have been spoken, there have never been more important words than those. Because the entire history of the human race depended on Jesus Christ being willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. Adam and Eve knew what the will of God was. And they said, not your will, 
but mine be done. The people before Noah knew a lot about what they should do, and they said, my will be done. And again and again and again, human beings made in the image of God, made to do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, say, not your will, my will be done. And here, the perfect son of man, the human sent to be just like one of us, says, not my will, your will be done. And because he says that, he is able to offer the sacrifice that makes you and me clean. So here's the lesson for every one of us today. We don't have what Jesus has, the ability to offer a perfect and flawless sacrifice to God. But God is asking us to face our cross. He is asking us to overcome our fear. He is asking us to resist our temptation. We need the people around us to give us courage to do it. And we need to pray this prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. God bless you all. Be safe.